Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 1 at verse 9. Hi there. I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, right away, in uh, verse 9 of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, where John writes this. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one, And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So this is John's first vision, you might say, in this uh, book so far. He has spent a couple of chapters of, uh, that is a couple of paragraphs, that is, uh, trying to uh, introduce the book itself and and creating uh, uh, out of uh, what uh, might appear to be at first an an epistle of of its own because he's writing it uh, in the form uh, of a uh, of a letter and uh, all with the ingredients of that type of literature and le- and yet we know in advance that this is this is bigger than just one letter and in fact uh, we're about to find out it has at least 7 letters that are supposed to be written, but uh, he he begins with this this setting, you might say, and he, he of course this book is not written just all in one day, but uh, that's where the setting is of where it all began, and that's what he wants us to know that. Uh, 
there is something now that is happening, and uh, that's what he wants to record. It re- he records this story, and the story itself is uh, a description of this vision. And uh, so he says, I, John, your brother, and he, he has this certain affection for his audience, you might say, and he knows that he shares the, the part of the uh, same family, and uh, as a brother, then he is writing this to them, and in some regards, he is downplaying his authority as an apostle. He's merely saying, I have this in common with you, and uh, this is what I'm going to write about. And not only uh, do we share the same family, but he says, and a fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus. By the way, don't get tripped up by the uh, the definite article in the English there that appears before the the uh, word tribulation, because the that uh, definite article, the the that's there, uh, refers actually to that short list of three things, the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance. And he's not referring technically to the the actual uh, great tribulation that Jesus uh, himself predicted, but he's referring to the this general uh, tribulation and kingdom that he's already a part of, and the perseverance that's already a part of his lifestyle because of of this tribulation. You see, Jesus already predicted that this would not be an easy road for those who follow him, for those who place their faith in him as their savior, follow him as their Messiah and as their Lord and as their King. Uh, Because in John chapter 15, Jesus warns them this way, if the world hates you, you will you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. And, and he continues on in verse 20 of John chapter 15, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep kept my word, they will keep yours also. And again, Jesus says says this in a, in a different context in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 6 through 18. Behold, I send you as out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so uh, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake." as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And uh, so uh, we've already been warned, you might say, even from the very words of Jesus, that uh, being a follower of Jesus uh, may not be easy. In fact, he promised us that if we stand with him, we will find those that hate him will also hate us. Paul said the same thing after being stoned, by the way, at uh, at Lystra. He says in uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, um, Luke is recording what uh, Paul is doing. And it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So, um, 
So even though there is coming this this technical period of time that we we call the tribulation, that means that does not mean in the meantime that uh, that we get by without any tribulation. In fact, it would be very unusual that we don't face some sort of persecution uh, somewhere in our lifetime because of our testimony for Christ and. Um, and and so we find ourselves here uh, in um, what John has to say was on the he was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So you see, John is himself uh, 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 a representation of that very thing that Jesus predicted. He is the the victim of persecution. He is the object of that kind of wrath that uh, is poured out. Uh, sometimes completely irrational wrath and com- and irrational anger and judgment uh, against uh, those who follow Jesus and um, and so he's he's suffering in this penal colony you might say this uh, this uh, punishment uh, being exiled by Rome onto this island this is a barren island uh, it's uh, about ten miles uh, long and about five or six miles wide and um, this would be considered uh, maybe uh, something similar to our own Alcatraz of that day. And there were some mining operations that took place, and they used the prisoners in order to do that mining. It's a, it's an out-of-the-way kind of an island, and uh, and yet for John, in this case, uh, it, it actually becomes the launching pad to, uh, to heaven, you might say, or at least to the visions that, uh, that Jesus is about to give him here. And uh, this is sort of like the, uh, the threshold of uh, passing into this, this realm that uh, you don't normally see with human eyes and physical, uh, physical eyes. And so he's there as one who was being persecuted. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, this is a very uh, unique kind of way of uh, expressing himself, especially when it terms in terms of the timetable. And um, and in on the Lord's day seems to refer to the fact that uh, the believers always gathered together on the first day of the week. At least we have some hints of that. Um, uh, and uh, that was uh, on the first day of the week in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. They gathered together in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. It says on the first day of the week, that's when they gathered together. And and in that particular case, that's when they took up a collection. And uh, so they did things on the Lord's day, on this first day of the week, because that was the day that celebrated the resurrection. And so uh, John is just saying, I am, I am doing what I normally would do um, during my uh, my lifestyle, you might say, uh, that on the first day of the week, I am going to spend time in worship. And it doesn't say what time of day it was, but it's on this uh, island called Patmos. And uh, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That means he was he was being filled with the spirit of God and the spirit of God is, is uh, um, is there in him and uh, and expressing himself through him? Uh, we don't know exactly how how John uh, expressed that, uh, but uh, we just know that John recognized the fact that that this was a time of worship and this was a time of uh, closeness to God, and it was on that particular day of the week. 
And he says, uh, uh, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, later on, that voice is going to sound like the, the voice of many waters, but, but right now it sounds like a trumpet. Uh, and later on also in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, uh, John hears this same voice like the sound of a trumpet. And it says, uh, come up here and I will show you what may, may, must take place after these things. So this voice kind of uh, uh, punctuates uh, these various movements, you might say, through this piece of literature. And uh, and at this point, uh, he's speaking as a, as a voice of a trumpet. And he tells John right away to write the book, uh, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he actually itemizes these seven churches by name. And they are in Asia. And notice that this is exactly uh, the fulfillment of what uh, 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 Jesus gave to John because John actually introduced us in the previous paragraph in verse four of chapter one. He says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So you see, we find the command given uh, to John in this experience, in this vision, and then John turns around and obeys it uh, several months later, perhaps uh, a year later, uh, by by uh, creating this banner over the entire book uh, with exactly what Jesus told him uh, to do. And so he lists out these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And uh, we're going to find out uh, a little bit maybe uh, why, why these churches are uh, chosen and uh, why uh, uh, this is presented to us in this way right after this break. Enjoy the music in the meantime. Welcome back. John has just been given the commission to write to these specific uh, seven churches that are in uh, what we would now know as Western Turkey. These were not the only churches in existence in the uh, Roman Empire. There were there were uh, many many churches that had been planted by by uh, Peter and uh, by John and by the other apostles by by the apostle Paul and uh, so so there must be a reason why Jesus chooses to write to these specific seven uh, listed here and they are listed out in an, in a specific order by the way uh, which was the same order in which uh, the postal service would have delivered uh, uh, goods or or or, or mail or po uh, posts uh, and. Uh 
and parcels and uh, and that kind of thing. They would deliver it in that order to these cities. And and yet, even though it it has that kind of coincidence to it, uh, there there may be even a, a better. Um, uh, meaning behind the fact that Jesus chose these to write to. And by the way, they will have their own individual letters uh, to come in chapter 2 and 3. That's what John writes in obedience to Jesus. And uh, and yet at the same time, the, the entire book is written to all seven churches at the same time. So they have these little miniature memos uh, that uh, appear in chapter 2 and 3, but the entire book was written to the entire uh, seven church conglomerate, if you want to call it that. By the way, uh, just so you know, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to seven churches. Uh, that's a little piece of trivia. Uh, if you want to look it up uh, or research it yourself, he wrote to Rome. He wrote to Corinth. In fact, he wrote to Corinth twice. Uh, he wrote to Galatia uh, and to um, Ephesus and to um, Philippi, to Colossae, and he wrote to Thessalonica twice. So there is a certain kind of parallel, you might say, that uh, that John is taking up um, in on the heels of Paul, but he's writing to separate churches. The only church that overlaps is uh, the church at Ephesus. So you might say uh, uh, chapter 2 uh, actually becomes at least the first paragraph is is uh, Ephesians. Uh, that would be called uh, second Ephesians uh, to us perhaps, but we don't normally uh, look at it that way. But uh, it says, it says then, I turned, uh, this is verse 12 of chapter 1, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and uh, notice he turns to see the voice uh, as if you can see a voice, but he wants to see the source of the voice, that's why he's turning around, and it sounded like a trumpet at the beginning, so he wants to see what this voice is, and um, He's, uh, but first, what catches his attention is the seven golden lampstands. And verse uh, 13 says, And in the middle of the lampstands, one, uh, I saw one like a son of man. So these seven lampstands are there. Now we can interpret them however we want to. But what's interesting is the Bible interprets some of this stuff on its own. We don't, we don't have to just conjure up some sort of symbolic meanings uh, when the Bible itself is our best reference. And in fact, if we're patient enough to read through the entire the entire passage, we find that it is interpreted by Jesus himself of what these seven lampstands are. And these seven lampstands do, uh, according to verse 20, represent those seven churches he's about to write to. And each church has its own lampstand. And this is a single lampstand. This isn't like uh, the menorah, uh, the Seven, uh, the seven-channeled uh, uh, lampstand that, that would have appeared in the uh, Jewish temple. This is single lampstands, and each one has one, and that is each church has a single lampstand. It seems to represent the church itself as a congregation, not the individuals necessarily in the congregation, but, uh, but the congregation itself, its own testimony, its own reflection of the gospel and of the truth, and uh, that's what's going on there. 
And so one like a son of man, this would be Jesus himself. This is, uh, Jesus hasn't changed uh, his his names. Uh, he, he has always been Jesus since he was born in Bethlehem. And he was always the son of God and always the son of, uh, that is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, even though we, we may have been unclear about the Trinity in the Old Testament, and yet uh, he was always there as that second person, and he appeared from time to time. And when he did appear, what's interesting is he had this similar appearance that we find here in this chapter after he has already uh, incarnated himself into the human family, died as a human being, resurrected as a human being, and ascended back into heaven, yet he retains his same identity that he has always been. If you go back to um, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel sees this same personage, and he describes him almost the same way, but he says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days. That's God the Father by the way and who was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men and of every language might serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so Daniel describes this son of man, and yet, uh, and yet he's not uh, been uh, uh, been birthed into the human family yet, and yet that is his that still is his is uh, his role and his and the prophecies about him that he will fulfill. Mark chapter 2, verse 10 says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth uh, to forgive sins. And also in verse 28, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so he's he is communicating even during his earthly ministry that he has this authority as uh, Daniel has described. Even though his, he has restrained that authority in many regards, he has restrained the glory in in uh, in many regards as well, and uh, that's part of his his incarnation uh, process. You might say he set those that glory aside. He set that power aside, at least temporarily, and uh, only revealed it at certain moments and certain times. So he says. Uh, uh, he describes him as being clothed in a robe that reaching to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden sash. This is very much a reflection of a of a priestly kind of robe, even though Jesus wasn't a part of the of the uh, the Aaronic uh, uh, priesthood or the Levitical priesthood. That is, and and yet uh, this robe reflects that that priestly function, you might say. And and then he describes his head and his hair were white like wool, uh, like white wool, like snow. This is a, a bright uh, kind of a white. It's kind of a glory that's that's a part of his being. And he says his eyes were a flame of fire. That means that uh, in, uh, in this position, he can penetrate his sight into your very soul. And that's, that's what's, uh, what John is feeling, is this, this, uh, this uh, penetrating uh, uh, gaze that Jesus has to be able to, uh, to look and to discern. And it says his feet 
light. We're like burnished bronze, which was made to glow in a furnace. So this is some sort of a brass or some sort of a copper. We're not exactly sure what kind of alloy this might be, but... Uh, but it is, it is uh, glowing, and uh, it refers to uh, uh, authority. It refers to, uh, to victory in many regards. It refers to a conquering hero uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. And notice again, his feet were like burnished bronze, what is made to, uh, made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And uh, so this is very similar to, again, a, a description we find in Daniel. What was that uh, that we mentioned in the first episode, that that uh, the book of Revelation is kind of like the mouth of the Mississippi River, and uh, that what we find in its pages are the re- the uh, the result of, of all of the input from all of these tributaries. Well, Daniel is one of the main tributaries, and we've already quoted him once, and we're going to go back to him again to quote this particular description, because these were the kinds of description that the Jewish people that were familiar with the Old Testament, they would have recognized this description. It says in chapter 10 of Daniel, verses uh, 5 and 6, he says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded uh, with a a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. Uh, his body also was like beryl. His face and had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. So, so Daniel's description of this same person is the same. Why? Because it's the same person. That's why, even though this is Jesus now, and this is this is the one who uh, who became human being. This is the one who who uh, walked on the earth. This is the same one, and yet he's gone back to glory, and now he's reflecting the same glory that he always, has always had. But now he's doing it in a human body, resurrected from the dead. He says uh, uh, in his right hand he held seven stars, and we're about to find out what that is uh, later on in verse 20. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Well, that's exactly what we find in uh, parts of the Old Testament, that that uh, that there is this description of uh, God's words as, as a uh, sharp two-edged sword. It says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2, it says he has made his mouth like a sharp sword. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, uh, but with the righteousness, uh, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness uh, for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. So uh, these images are still there reflected even in this uh, this person that Jesus, that uh, John is now witnessing. And he says, and I saw him and I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me. Do you realize that John has experienced this already once before at the transfiguration? Jesus put his hand out and he says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Notice that Jesus has been given the authority in heaven now as a man with the same glory and the same victory that he's always had now restored to him in such a manner that... um 
that he has the keys, not the keys that he gave to Peter. He gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. That meant that Peter had the opportunity or opened the door of opportunity for the Gentiles as well as Jewish people to listen to the gospel. But here, this is this is the authority over death itself and over Hades itself. So Jesus still has those keys. Jesus still has the keys for judgment. Jesus still has the keys to raise people from the dead. Uh, and he, he hasn't surrendered those keys to anyone yet. It says in verse 19, therefore, write these things which you have seen. And that's exactly what uh, John is doing at this moment. And the things which will take place, that's what's uh, in the things which are, that's what's going to take place in uh, chapter uh, tw- two and three. And then the things which will take place after these things, that uh, takes over in chapter four, all the way through the end of the book. And so that's co- sort of like our, our outline for the entire book of uh, Revelation. As for the mystery, he says in verse 20, of the seven stars which you, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, this could be actual angels that we think about, the, the supernatural beings uh, beyond our physical uh, existence, and that may be the case that each church has an angel of that sort, but also it could be just simply referring to the messenger because each church would have had a messenger to deliver these letters and to deliver this book to each one of those churches. And perhaps that's exactly uh, what is going on here, that these are the seven messengers. That's what that word uh, literally does mean, the the word angels. Uh, These are seven messengers to the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And that is John's assignment, is to send out these letters to the seven churches of what he's now seen and what is uh, what is now going on and is what is going to happen later. And we are excited about tackling this book and we do so in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much for these moments together and it's in his name we pray, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.